Hello, blessed be gloomy friends. I'm Tylee and welcome to Bloom and Gloom, the podcast of Botanical Oddities. We're a bit more back on home soil this week. We went down an opioid rabbit hole and we have resurfaced up into something a little more lighthearted, a little less multifaceted and just all around pretty awesome. Our place of the day is a little outcrop of white-barked trees surrounded by rugged, mountainous terrain. The towering peaks and deep valleys are flowing with a sea of yellow and orange as the trees turn in for the season. All around you, the forest whirs and rustles with the distinctive aura of quaking aspen leaves, dancing in the cool breeze. It sits somewhere in the back of your mind, though, that every leaf you hear, every trunk you see, is all, in fact, a single organism. Let's start off with a bit of background on the quaking aspen tree. Aspen's Latin name, Populus tremula, refers to its characteristic trembling leaves, which often seem to shimmer in the wind. The rustling sound of the leaves was likened to raindrops, and in various cultures the wind was associated with the voice of the spirit. The aspen's unique voice was said to inspire those who listened. Its magical reputation even led to legends of people disappearing into the land of the fae beneath its branches. It's known scientifically as Populus tremuloides and is easily recognised by its distinctive white bark, which often bears dark diamond-shaped scars left behind by fallen branches. Their leaves are round with a serrated edge and they have the unique ability to tremble or quake in even the slightest breeze because of their flattened leaf stems. In ancient times, this trembling was thought to grant heroes the ability to journey to the underworld and return safely. Their leaves were even placed on burial mounds to assist spirits in their journey to be reborn. The quivering effect results from the way aspen leaves are attached to their stems, allowing them to rotate freely. Aspens are also renowned for their stunning autumn colour display of yellows and golds. Against their white bark, it's a very breathtaking sight. They're also extremely hardy and adaptable to diverse environmental conditions across North America and the world. This hardiness is what allows them to span all the way from Alaska to the southern regions of Mexico in North America, and from the eastern Atlantic coast all the way over to the Rockies. They're exceptionally cold tolerant, which enables them to kind of dominate landscapes in regions where cold is a seasonal reality. They're also wicked at altitude, and these two features are why aspens are often the most prominent tree in really mountainous areas like Utah and Colorado. In fact, Aspen, the city in Colorado, was indeed named after the aspen tree because of just how many there are in the area. I've never been to North America, but I've always kind of been taken with the Utah, Colorado area. Most people don't know this about me, but I'm kind of unhealthily obsessed with fundamentalist Christian cults and religions. Sister Wives is absolutely my guilty pleasure show. My maternal grandparents used to be LDS, and I kind of think it created this domino effect in my family where I feel it's a lot of the reason why many of us are the way we are. So I grew up reading a lot about that region of the world anyway. The biological reasons for the cold and altitude tolerance are that aspens have incredibly efficient photosynthesis capabilities, which allows them to capture sunlight effectively, even in cooler conditions. This ensures they have a pretty strong and consistent energy supply. They also have a relatively short growing season, which reduces the risk of frost damage because they complete their cycle in the spring and summer, so new growth is more mature when it's exposed to the cold. 
As you might have guessed, they are also deciduous trees, which helps them conserve energy and minimise water loss during the cooler months. And aspens have also evolved cold-resistant tissues that prevent ice crystal formation within their cells. At high altitudes, they adjust their metabolism and physiology to cope with lower oxygen levels and increased UV radiation, which is just crazy adaptable. Aspens also have interconnected root systems, which help stabilise soil temperatures, and they're not overly picky when it comes to soil type either, as long as there's sufficient moisture. Remarkably, though, they also possess a very robust resistance to drought. They have this extraordinary capacity to communicate about the availability of water through their extensive root network, which is a phenomenon known as hydraulic lift or water redistribution. Within a clonal colony, these trees are intricately connected by underground roots, which serves as both an anchoring system and a conduit for the exchange of water, nutrients, and even chemical signals. Their deep-reaching roots enable them to access groundwater sources, even during dry periods or when the surface soil moisture is scarce. When an individual aspen tree taps into the groundwater reservoir, it absorbs more water than it immediately requires. This surplus is then transported through the interconnected root system to other trees in the colony that might be undergoing water stress. In the context of wildfires, aspens developed another unique survival strategy. While the above-ground portions of these trees may succumb to fire, the underground root system often remains unharmed, so they just sprout new shoots and carry on. They're shade-tolerant when they're little, And once they've grown to upper canopy size, they love the sun and provide shade for many other plants. This does mean, though, that because baby aspens are shade tolerant and other young trees like certain kinds of oaks, birches and pines are shade intolerant, they can tend to exclude other trees and take over the groves that they live in over time. To top it all off, aspen trees have some unique and natural resistance to various pests and diseases, which makes them mostly robust to biological threats. Now, I've been crapping on about clonal colonies, but what exactly is that? If you haven't heard of these before, you're in for a treat. Clonal colonies of aspen trees consist of multiple genetically identical trees interconnected by these underground roots. This interconnected network allows for collective resilience. If one tree within the clone is damaged or dies, the remaining trees can persist and continue to thrive, which means these groves can cover vast areas and are among some of the oldest living organisms on Earth. Pando, our guest feature for today, is often referred to as the trembling giant and is located in Utah's Fish Lake National Forest. The name Pando means eye spread, which is pretty obviously a result of his sprawling nature. You might have noticed I'm using a male pronoun for Pando, and that is because he is in fact genetically male. So in order to reproduce sexually, he would need a female aspen counterpart, which would then diversify the gene pool and create another unique tree. Pando so far has been reproducing asexually by cloning himself. And so that's why genetically, he is considered one tree. Clonal reproduction always begins with a single parent plant that's often referred to as the mother plant or the genet. New individuals or clones are produced from this parent plant primarily through root sprouting. So they're connected to the original tree through roots. 
Hopefully that makes sense. Pando is massive and covers about 106 acres. He's made up of over 47,000 individual branches and weighs nearly 6,000 metric tons. This makes him not only the oldest, but also one of the largest living organisms on the planet. It's certainly the largest tree. The exact age has been a subject of scientific inquiry and investigation, and while it was initially estimated to be around 80,000 years old, more recent research has suggested that it could be even older, possibly up to a million years. There is talk out there that Pando cannot, in fact, be any older than about 12,000 years old, though, and this is based on the assumption that the area at the time before that would have been a glacier, and therefore Pando wouldn't have been able to survive. There is, of course, a lot of debate about that and how people are supposed to determine where glaciers were, etc, etc. Long story short, like with most things, people disagree. Each individual branch of Pando, what you might consider each tree, if you didn't know they were all interconnected, is only about 110 to 150 years old though, and the root system continuously grows, degrades and replaces itself too. But this doesn't mean it's a whole new tree. It's remarkably like humans actually. You know how they say your body replaces itself with new cells and that every seven years you have none of the original cells in your body? Well, scientifically, that's not really that correct. I know fat cells can take about 65 years to renew, but I'd say for the most part, yes. Like Pando, you are a clone of your original cells. The difference is that Pando is a stable clone, which means that his clones of himself can clone themselves. So you kind of circumvent the whole cellular aging, degeneration, mutation, metabolism thing. We still don't even really know how that occurs in humans anyway. So Pando himself is actually in danger of being eaten to death at the moment by deer and elk. Once upon a time, of course, there were more apex predators in the area, like wolves and cougars, that kept the numbers of the herbivorous species lower. But now they're running rampant and eating all of Pando's baby saplings. So what we have is kind of like an ageing population. Most of his trunks are on the upper end of their lifespan, and the deer are eating all the young ones. They're fencing off certain parts so the animals can't get in until some saplings are more established. The other thing that's affecting the big boy is a few diseases with some pretty amazing names. So we have sooty bark canker, which is a fungal disease characterised by black lesions on the bark, wilting, dieback, and a decline in general tree vigour. It's caused by the fungus Cryptosphera populina, and it spreads through wind and rain-dispersed spores. These spores love to attach themselves to any lesions on the bark of aspens. Leaf spot is the next one, which is another fungal disease, and conch disease, which is usually caused by fungi like Phelanus tremulae that are wood-decaying fungi. The mycelium of these guys grows right into the heartwood of the tree and weakens it and kills it over time. Last but not least, it's said that the climate warming is affecting Pando's ability to source water and nutrients for its giant colony. It's expected that Pando would historically have been pretty revered due to the traditional beliefs associated with aspen trees. In some Native American legends, aspen trees were seen as guardians of sacred places. It was believed that these trees watched over portals to other realms and held the knowledge of ancient rituals and ceremonies. Those who approached these aspen groves with respect and reverence 
might be granted visions and insights, while those who showed disrespect could incur the tree's wrath. The Ute people, who primarily inhabit the western United States, believe one group of spirits, represented by the aspen leaves, was in constant conflict with another group, which is often symbolised by the wind or the elements. This battle between these spiritual entities was believed to cause the leaves distinctive trembling or quivering motion, especially noticeable on calm days when there was no apparent source of wind. Aspen wood was also used by various tribes for crafting tools, baskets and ceremonial items. The Paiute people also used quaking aspen leaves in their cooking. They're completely edible if a little bitter and can be used in salads or cooked. In European folklore, aspen leaves were said to tremble because they had been used to fashion the cross upon which Jesus was crucified. The trees were thought to be forever trembling out of sorrow for their involvement in the crucifixion. There's so many different suppositions about what wood the quote-unquote true cross was made of, and most sources I'm pretty sure say it was a combination. When my husband and I did the Via Dolorosa, the way of the cross in Jerusalem, I'm pretty sure they said that no one actually knows. I know Catholics say cedar and cypress and pine. Others say there were parts that were like olive tree. I don't know. Personally, I think aspen is unlikely to have been involved in that one. The Greeks called it aspis, meaning shield, as its lightweight wood was used to craft shields believed to have protective and almost magical properties. These shields were thought to safeguard against physical and psychic harm. People planted aspens near their homes, similar to how they would do with a rowan tree, for general protection, and there were even beliefs that aspens could guard buried treasure. In Scots Gaelic, the aspen is known as Crean, and Highlanders considered it a magical tree. Placing an aspen leaf under the tongue was believed to grant eloquence a gift from the Fairy Queen. In Scottish folklore, the Fairy Queen, also called the Queen of Elfheim, is a prominent figure within the realm of Celtic and Scottish mythology. She holds a central role in the belief system of the Highlanders and is associated with various aspects of the supernatural and magical worlds. She's usually depicted as powerful and enigmatic and rules over the other world or the land of Elfheim. This realm is considered to exist in the same space as the normal human world, but we are unable to perceive it. So it's a bit different to a lot of other mythologies, where their other worlds are usually in other places. It's considered a place of great magic, inhabited by a variety of different supernatural beings, including fairies, elves, and other mystical creatures. It's a world filled with enchantments, spells, and wonders, often, but not always, hidden from the mortal realm. The queen is usually portrayed as beautiful and ethereal. She is seen as a protector of the natural world, a bestower of gifts and blessings, and sometimes a mediator between the human and fairy realms. Highlanders believed that she could grant special favours or enchant individuals, and offerings or gestures of respect were made to gain her favour. She's closely associated with the changing of seasons, the cycles of life and death, and the mystical forces of the land. While the Fairy Queen could be benevolent, she was also seen as capricious and unpredictable. Highlanders approached her with caution, recognising the potential consequences of crossing into the other world or seeking her favour. Highland folk had taboos against using aspen wood for certain purposes as well, in line with the rest of all of this. 
Practically, aspen wood is lightweight and buoyant, making it ideal for oars, paddles, surgical splints, wagon bottoms. It was also used for safety floorboards because obviously it doesn't burn that easily. And medicinally, a lot of different cultures used aspens for their analgesic and anti-inflammatory properties. Usually they brewed teas from the inner bark to relieve pain, fever, and various other ailments. Some tribes used aspen bark poultices to soothe wounds, burns, and skin irritations. Aspen leaves have also been used for diuretic and antipyrexic or fever-reducing properties. These medicinal uses are all as a result of salicin, which is a similar compound to aspirin, tannins, which of course are polyphenolic compounds with astringent properties, flavonoids, which are antioxidants, and some sugar compounds called glycosides. I don't know if anyone here has heard of bark flower remedies, but it's basically a form of alternative medicine that uses flower essences to treat emotional and psychological well-being. Anyway, this recommends that aspen extract be used for fears and apprehensions. Bark flower remedies themselves are not very evidence-based, just saying. I know there was a study to see if they were effective in treating attention deficit disorder, and they weren't any better than a placebo, but sometimes intention can do pretty incredible things, and placebos do work to some degree, so if it's your jam, I'd say go for it. I'd try it. Why not? That's all for this episode, guys. Thank you for listening. I hope you have a wonderful 24 hours. If you like the episode, please feel free to rate and subscribe if you haven't already. You can follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Bloom and Gloom Pod. All the references and links are down in the show notes, but we're on YouTube too. I hope you keep listening and have a gloomy day.